So there are a number of uh, questions, about 30, so I've had to do a, a, a summary in a, a pricey, so uh, uh, to try to kind of put them into some categories. So your question will probably be in there, uh, I may allude to it, um, and listen to some topics and see how they affect us. Yeah. These topics is just the sounds of the human condition. So we listen with a sense of fellowship, compassion. Uh, maybe something could be learned here. Something could be supported here just by listening. Uh, so the first topic to deal with is uh, meditation. That's a good one to begin with. And a question, perhaps most important question, you know, what is, what is sati, what is mindfulness? Do you start with the awareness of not-self and look at the impermanence of the aggregates? Um, I wouldn't say that. Mindfulness is the ability um, to bear something in mind and uh, and to stay with it. Mm. So certain properties, one is you, st you stay with a particular theme, a topic, set of sensations, depends what you're mindful of. And that means that you're up through that mindfulness of the power to put aside or repel topics that are irrelevant to that particular chosen focus. It also has the ability to deeply dwell in and cause the chitta, the awareness, to linger, to, to give itself to a particular topic. Um, this may be a little bit abstract, but... So, you know, we, we start with, well, how to be mindful? Well, this, um, how do you, what particular topic to be mindful of? See, it's, it's a natural faculty of, of mind, to be mindfulness. It's one of these universal faculties where we are mindful to some degree all the time. But um, samasati, right mindfulness, <laughs> is based upon right view and right attention. So what we're doing here is saying just let's stop, pause in the on-running, rolling on of things and step back. This is called viveka, disengagement. And then you develop something called wise attention or appropriate attention. Within all this, what is it good to bear in mind? What is it good to place sati mindfulness on. So we might say just let's be use this presence of the body as something that gives mindfulness something fairly stable to anchor itself in. This is the Buddha always recommended mindfulness of the body as being the foundation. He says you don't realise the deathless without mindfulness of the body. It acts as the this the stable because it, it's the one that can counteract the pull of the mind 
mind consciousness. Um, so it helps to, it's got a different set of energies and it stabilizes. So when your sati is immersed in that, then it, it's given the power to uh, linger you know, and to repel, put aside or not be interested in sundry other objects. And within that, as you are immersed in body, then you can notice the qualities of feeling that arise and you can even contemplate your mind from the body's perspective, not, not from your knees or your feet, but from the sense of being embodied. You've got a basis, oh, I'm here, I'm this sense of being here. It's these thoughts running by. And that's what mindfulness of body facilitates, makes possible. Once you have that, then of course you can develop these particular things. You do begin to realise not self. Oh, this isn't me thinking. This is just thinking. Ah, you know, this is uh, just emotion and it's changeable. But you need that strong sati to a disengagement to to facilitate that. So you don't work from the theory of anatta. You you begin to establish the foundation where that anatta experience becomes the reality. It's, it's obvious. So how to stop awareness landing on negative formations? One gets lost in thought. Well, as I've suggested, this is how you do it. Um, you know, mindfulness of body. And, and it's important to you know, keep it going because the mind is the most powerful um, pull to it. Thoughts are normally our leaders in our day. We're led by thought. So you can't change horses that easy. You're constantly running, riding on thoughts, planning the day, getting ahead, figuring this, remember that. It's not easy to get off that horse. You have to have something else, you know, to get onto. So, you know, you just get onto the body. It stands apart from the mind in that sense, from the thinking mind. And then it's going at a different pace. You can slow it down, you know. You can benefit from the agreeable quality of breathing in and out. So breathing out soothes, steadies the energy. And that helps to get the thinking mind to ah, slow down a little bit. The emotional rawness to feel more comfortable. So it's very important to, to lift and keep. And if you have to do it, just keep lifting from your thinking process and if you'd want to do it sitting or standing or walking these are the recommended basis lying down but it's more difficult um, you can use a word just a simple word like breath or breathe out or you know just something that interrupts the train of thought and then place it on a physical object or discern sensation stay with that and you do that breathing is is one of the most highly recommended because there's an energetic effect 
breathing out has got a naturally has got a, a relaxing effect and breathing in has a brightening effect and you see the mind itself thinking doesn't know how to relax it doesn't know how to brighten it knows how to be stimulated but it doesn't know how to be refreshed it doesn't know how to relax body knows how to do it yeah. and breathing is, is the fundamental core quality that brings that around you breathe out you relax or something relaxes you breathe in something brightens and it's that's the vehicle and it's to get those effects to pervade the mind is a lot of what meditation is about so that then one is dislodged the compulsive and the um, you know, compulsive qualities. It's not thinking isn't a problem, it's compulsiveness that's the problem. Hmm. And then, so when you have broken the compulsiveness, then you, yeah, then you can think. You can think clearly. Hmm. You can consider things. But if you're still, mind is caught up in compulsive impulsiveness then you've got no real working capacity so this is just not to suppress thought but to be able to think clearly you need to be able to disengage from it and train yourself so somebody's asking with energies i just mentioned energies people don't seem to mention it very much and I don't see that mentioned. A lot of meditation teachings don't mention energy. And um, so, what is this? Generally, energy refers to vigor. Virya means it's got some poof, an effort. Um, but energy is something else. And people say it's not. Where's that? Well, the problem is not that it's not there. It's just that it's not translated properly. <laughs> oh. The word sankara, which occurs uh, very commonly, is an energy. It's an activation. So it's one of its principal, one of its primary experiences, energy. So what's called breathing in and out is called kaya sankara. It doesn't mean the phenomenon of breath coming down your nose into your belly. It means the quality of relaxing and refreshing that occurs with breathing. That is Kaya Sankara, or bodily formation is the way they translate it, which doesn't do a lot. You know, for most people, bodily formation is a bit of an enigma, what that's referring to. Um, it really means bodily energy, somatic energy, not energy of physically doing things, but the energy of bodily vitality. And... Uh, this is pretty crucial because this sankara refers also to what's called chitta sankara, which means heart energy, which is of course a big topic because that's to do with your impulses and emotions, those surges and rushes, and that's chitta sankara. You, you know. Now, whether it's mentioned or not, don't tell me that doesn't exist. <laughs> it sure exists. <laughs> just the, so I'm giving a very simple word 
And of course, thinking mind is, is somewhat separate, which is called Vajisankara. It's the ability to think. And thoughts can move very fast. They've got energy in them. Now, one of the primary uh, processes that we cultivate in meditation is learning how to handle these primary energies that run body, heart, and mind, and, you know, clean them so they're not rushing and jumping and impulsive and stagnant and flailing around and spinning around and around and around. Or just completely stagnant or, or stuck and blocked. Somebody mentions what do you do with blocked energy? You know, so these are real experiences and blocked energy is something that um, you have to basically introduce it to unblocked energy. You can't think it out. You can't explain it out. You can't push it out. It's very much not self. So as you enter into the energetic domain, um, handling things or experiencing things in that way, the sense of a, of a person doing it is an irrelevant and an obstruction. There is no person doing it. No. But there can be the inclination of the heart for, oh, could I just open there? There could be the inclination of the heart. Could I just bear with that and spread my awareness over that? And this is how you release or how blocked energy gets released through the energy of the heart entering the energy of the body in a kind and wise way. Fundamentally, you encompass uh, difficult areas with a benevolent, attentive energy. With no pressure. No hurry up and go away. No, that's not right. No, why is this here? Why is that there? No, that's not, that's not going to do you any good. Whose fault is it? No, it doesn't not going to work <laughs> you know so in a way it is a purification because you're purifying a lot of these attitudes that we never really consider as being a problem but they are a problem it's me you know wanting things to go get sorted out and get the answer and get rid of that and make it more comfortable that one gets in the way so we're learning how to you know, actually, you know, do find resolution to these difficulties, but not through the sense of the separate person. Hmm. Direct experience. And the nature of this is that, you know, direct experience doesn't need a, doesn't need a person, doesn't need a translator. It's felt. Now, indirect experience, conceptual experience, things. Oh, you know, I want to go to, you know, I want to go to the wherever I want to go to today. How do I do that? Okay, I think that you know, somebody has to do it to think it out. And oh, this means that, and that means that. You know, this is the map. This is the make sure I've got enough money to get the whatever it takes to get there and we always 
we think things and place things into place where thinking minds. That's called conceptual, indirect experience. We're dealing with indirect experiences such as tomorrow and going to New York or whatever, visiting my aunt. That's that's an idea. And so always this always brings up the sense of a person. That's that's the result of indirect experience, of conceptual experience. It always brings up the sense of a person doing it. It's just that's just check it out for yourself. And you get so used to that that we assume that person doing it, it's it's a fundamental ingredient to your life, a fundamental part. It's called me. And because it's so often we use this conceiving intelligence that brings up this sense of a, a person there thinking it and figuring it out and planning it or getting it right or not getting it right, we use it so constantly we don't ever get the idea or realise that there could be a non-conceptual intelligence where this doesn't occur. <laughs> and the first way you know that is you know how your body knows how to walk without you telling it what to do. You know, you put food in your mouth and your body knows how to chew it without you saying, okay, get those jaws going, move the tongue. When you've had 25 bites, swallow it. It just does it without you telling it what to do. You don't need to be there. You can chew. You can walk without this constant person coming in and, you know, this is do this, do that, do that. You know, <laughs> gets in the way, in fact. Because the body knows what it's doing and feels it out. And it feels for, you know, when its task is accomplished. And the other indirect intelligence is the intelligence of the heart, which feels it feels, doesn't moves away. It recoils. It, you know? And this is the the key, of course, because his heart intelligence has, for a long time, been confused by conceptual intelligence, which we think is is the best. So we're often overriding our heart intelligence with our thinking intelligence. It's always considered, the thinking intelligence is considered higher or better or clearer or brighter than the high intelligence. And it's not. Can't, you can't say think yourself into happiness. You can't say think yourself into loving somebody or, you know, or enjoying yourself. You can't, you can't have a person do that can't do that. But when there's that ease and relaxing, and letting go of that, then it, the heart knows, oh, this is right. Oh, this is where I'm comfortable. This is no longer necessary. Why bother with that? It doesn't fret. It lets go of its grievances because it just knows this is not doing me any good. You don't have to some, somebody telling it what to do. But this is definitely a, a process because a lot of the time we have been telling it what to do. We have been saying to the heart, be quiet, be happy, behave, be polite, be nice, forgive people. Make it, you know, it's been telling it what to do. So we kind of stupefied it. And often it's in a pretty bad state. <laughs> it's kind of wounded and 
confused and agitated and lacks confidence. Yeah. So in meditation is a time when you really start to just start to deal with simple things that begin to get that heart intelligence to handle. This is a breath, feels like this. This is too hard, just take it gently. This is too dreamy, just get, let's get real here, let's get firmed up. Just give it, you know, exercise it, and using the body. So your body helps to train your heart. Well, your thinking mind does can't not very good at that. Thinking mind's always coming with ideas and ideals. Be pure, be loving, and so forth. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> but your body, you know, you know, you notice or look, stay with the breathing. And now here it is again. So it begins to train the heart to be steady, patient, open. And then the heart's in that way, the heart feels healthy, it brings in naturally, the healthy heart brings up qualities of ease, joy, clarity, it's light, it's, it's, it's a joy. So and this is definitely where then a lot of these preoccupations that may have been obsessive fall away because the heart is not interested in it anymore. So somebody mentions having lots of romantic preoccupations. That's getting fairly normal. Um, but then you know you can start to say, yeah, what's what's the feeling? What is needed? What's really needed here? What is what is the heart looking for? Comfort, warmth, uplift, brightness. You know something to feel lightly, happily stimulated by. Uh, and actually, it's not that far away. <laughs> you know, it's actually, you just slow down a little bit and fall in love with your chitta. Because <laughs> that's the one you're married to. <laughs> so you... <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to <laughs> go through the whole kind of rigmarole. <laughs> Of romantic relationships. <laughs> but sure, it takes some doing. Uh, uh, definitely worthwhile. Right? Uh, somebody asked for just a reference to again those four references that I've made the other day about uh, relationship to the body, relationship to nature or the earth. And, relationship to whatever sacred and relationship to other people so what's that what's the meaning of that well these are all helpful for because <laughs> none of them are, they're all they all get you out of your thinking mind yeah Now, if we take something like uh, a value like Buddha, awakening, or truthfulness, or honesty, or loving kindness, and you linger in that, and you get the quality of it, that's a hard quality. It takes you out of the ideal. It may be an ideal, but you say, what are the values that are, you have? Can you linger in those? And then it takes you out of your conceiving mind. 
Um, if you linger, bring your relationship to the body. What is this? So here, the relationship relationship itself means something like an openness and respect. So it's not pushing it, it's not resisting it, it's not ignoring it, it's not distorting, it's just, I am with this, I am with this, awareness is with this, awareness is with this body. And when awareness is within this body, not thinking is with this body, but awareness is with this body, we notice, it notices presence, warmth, vibrancy, energies, mm. uh, and it's a, you, you feel a living stream that's actually capable of you know, some profound benefits such as calming, refreshing, relaxing, and it's extremely sensitive. So it's important to relate to it. And as I say, nature relationship is a, an awareness of that has no particular demand, uh, denial, fantasy, expectation. It's a, it's a purity of connection to that which we're aware of. That's the nature of true relationship. And we want to really work on purifying that because relationship, it can be extremely uh, polluted or distorted with expectations, um, misunderstandings, um, as we all recognize properly. And projections, I want you to be this way. Now with nature again it's pretty it's again it's 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 pretty easy. You just go out with the trees are exactly what they are. You know, is there such a thing as an ugly tree? They're all just they don't fit into any human classification of which tree is better, <laughs> prettier, <laughs> more useful. They're all you know. So nature just is is uh, mind-blowing actually <laughs> and it's good to do to let your let your mind be blown by it not oh just naming it and defining it but actually opening your awareness to it yeah it really helps because nature has got its own vibrant energy to it um, these help to purify relationship because the most difficult one is relationship to other people and so the number of questions arose because of the difficulty of this, because with other people, there's often that wish, we're social creatures, I wish them to be, you know, that which I feel comfortable, agreeable, comforted by, enjoyed. You know, I don't want to be hurt by them. Uh, I want to be, you know, we have all kinds of expectations and wishes. And however understandable as expectations and wishes are, uh, they can have a very distorting effect on one's own heart and, of course, on the other person. Very important to get a relationship right. Yeah. Because in direct experience of jitta, just as I said, there's no person there. There's also there's nobody else there. 
There's no self and there's no other. There's just the experience of feeling, impressions, perceptions, activations, yeah. feeling of flow or congested or open. There's that. That's the direct experience that we call being with him or her. And uh, by and large, the mind will want to create a person in there. One of its fundamental confusions is trying to find stability by making that which is impermanent, changeable and not self, into something permanent, fixed and self. <laughs> this is called a vipalasa. And I say it would be much better, much happier if I make that a definite fixed person. And it, it believes that. And it's also great disappointment and misunderstanding because your idea of that person is not there, that person's experience of themselves. And the more that we can enter in something which is just open and working, not open to kind of sort of numb way, but sensing the feelings, the perceptions, the activations that are occurring in this connection, in this awareness, then, you know, some really powerful and beautiful things can occur. Because the value of relationship is it helps to to dismantle self. Dismantle is perhaps a hard word, but to, to loosen up some of the intensities of the person. You know, we all wish to be seen or heard or somehow received by other people. Why is that? Because then this kind of helps, helps the chitta to open up and to open up. But to keep that practice of helping the jitta open up, you don't want to make it cling to the idea of the other person. You want to stay in tune with the relationship. Now, some people mentioned toxic relationship with sister, alcohol, abuse, and so forth. Um, I'm sure you get the general picture. Another person talking about how do I get forgiveness? You know, a person um, who I've known for a number of years means quite a lot to me, yet very difficult. I can feel myself blaming him and hurt by him. And really, it's true, and yet it's disproportionate, the amount of, of blaming and hurt I feel in relationship with this person. Yet it matters. And both of them, both these questioners, sense that, the relationship matters. The relationship with the sister or the relationship with the other person, it matters. Why? It's not it's not a question that has an answer to it, it's just to acknowledge why it matters. Even when, you know, this say when I said a toxic relationship with a sister for a number of years. Why is it, you know, the fact it still matters? That's that's a beautiful thing. You know, someone's had a hurt, difficult relationship with a, another person. 
and it matters. You know, that's beautiful. You think, well, why don't you just say that to hell with him? <laughs> but I'm suggesting that you look into what is it that matters? What is the real point? Now, you're not going to fix the other person. That may happen. But I think one person recognised. I think trying, trying to fix this person, my sister, doesn't, seem, doesn't work. I feel there's some good potential in there. Well, I, my suggestion is the good potential will arise when you get into the sense of what is that experience of it matters. There's, there's fundamental uh, love. And uh, stay with that. Stay with that and... You know, realize that when you're thinking about these people who you have afflictions with, recognize that actually in direct experience, these are moment-by-moment -moment events that are happening in your, in your heart. There's nobody there, is there? These are moment-by-moment -moment events that are rising in your heart. And so just take, take that tendency to form them into a person totally understandable but that that's a problem once you fall into a person then you've got a hard lump you've got to deal with and you don't need to do that you could it's certainly uncomfortable feel some of that difficulty that hurtness or that agitation from the place of love this matters and just Bring the two together. Bring the open, caring heart to, into relationship with these difficult, struggling, emotional currents that arise. That's my suggestion. Yeah. And there may be a point in which something feels resolved. You never know when it's going to happen, but at some point, something, you know, something in, in my heart has found, found resolution. Now, whether that will affect the other person or not, we can't always say. The way it is in this rather unsatisfactory world is... <laughs> It doesn't, you know, world out there, stuff out there, which it seems to be out there, doesn't always change. But one's is no longer afflicted by it. And that non-affliction, what has brought around that non-affliction, that surely will be the most helpful way to sustain with your mindfulness, to sustain that quality when you're in touch with this other person, either as a memory or as a direct reality. You know, someone's asking about clashes with views. Um, person says, you know, what do I deal with people who continually see things in binary terms, men and women, that construction? 
Yeah, some clashes with people of other viewpoints. Well, yeah, you know, you've got to look into what is it, you know, your, your own or one's wish, one's desire. One's, I want people to be this way. That, why? Why does it matter to you? If you come to that, you're dealing with the most important point of what your jitta is really, really concerned with. And it will only, it will only achieve what it's concerned with what, by reviewing itself, not by looking at other people or expecting other people to be one way or another. Someone's mentioning, well, how do you maintain awareness in relationship? I think I've tried to uh, to suggest that. You know, if you're actually noticing the flow of experience when you're in conversation or in contact, and uh, really most important training is to put a hold on those impulses to correct or change or direct another person you know, it just doesn't mean you never will but just those are so compulsive just put a check on his compulsive even the compulsion to help someone it's compulsion you know, that you've got to check and it, we get very compulsive in relationship to other people one of our primary compulsive triggering points. We want to fix, we want to help, we want to change, we want to contradict them, we want to set them straight, we don't want to listen to them. You've got to stop all that. Yeah. And uh, stay in your awareness of that process, listening, attending. And naturally, it's, it's a mutual thing. So, yeah, there's also... Checking in. Negotiation is very important, which means, you know, you see somebody and say, ah, is it all right? And then you might even comment, like, could you say that again? Or let them know you're hearing them. Like, is that, uh huh, I think I've got, I'm quite moved by that. Could you just pause for a moment while I really take that in? I'm actually engaged in the flow. So you're both listening to the flow, you're feeling how you're affected by it, and you're engaging with that experience. And you're saying, oh, that's quite, that's quite a lot you've said there. I'd really like to just sit with that for a while and take it in for 10 seconds or something. So you just begin to, to steer the relational flow, which is not about steering the person, about operating within that, that flow. And listening, of course, and listening to what's happening here in your own heart when you're starting to feel that sense of this is getting too much for me, you know, or I'm getting bored. <laughs> is it okay to say, oh, I'd really like to be attentive with you, but right now my mind is fading out? Not you bore me stiff, which would probably be the wrong thing to say, but. <laughs> I'd like to be attentive. I really want to hear you, but right now my mind is kind of 
bit tired or, or losing track, we just pause for a moment and take it slowly. You know, so you negotiate within 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 the relationship. And if you negotiate with that sense of, I want this to work for both of us, that's the idea. And if I can't, if I'm not up for it, I need to tell them. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You know? And I need to tell them also, I'm really moved by what you said. So tell them what's happening for you. So then you are in that, in that relationship in a, an aware way. It's a, it's, a, it's a profound skill. It's a sort of disengagement from the person that we, we tend to become in, in a relationship. You know, either I'm just the, per, the obedient one or the person's got to fix it. And just disengage from that and to be in the awareness of that and then steering within that aware current of experiences. You know, take participating in it. And then it's extremely um, fruitful. This is, this is the book that you learn from. Other people are, are this, is our, this is our big book. This is the real book you know, to, to learn from. The book that happens. The book that's a constant event. Um, direct experience and the human being we're learning from this one that one as it happens it's my voice it's your voice doesn't matter whose it is we're listening to it and we're learning from it okay well i'm going to follow my own advice and pause stop being so compulsive about <laughs> telling people talking <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, take a moment or two. We've uh, extended a little this evening, but or this morning, where it is for you. I hope that's okay. If you want to take a few 30 seconds or a minute or so, just whatever's been useful. What do you want to bear in mind? So I'll uh, sign off and I'll uh, wish you well. <laughs>